Welcome to the Orange Socks Podcast, where we are inspiring life despite a diagnosis. I'm your host, Dr. Gerald Nebaker. So, Catherine, thank you for taking the time to do an Orange Socks interview. This is uh, excellent. And uh, your situation is a little different. You have an older sister mm-hmm. that has a disability that seems like you didn't know too much about, right, when you were younger. You want to tell me about that? Actually, I didn't even know that she existed until I was about 12 years old. Oh my, so tell me about that. Apparently, my parents made the decision when my sister was born. Mom thought that she might be deaf, because she spoke a little bit and then she basically stopped. And she was very, very active and um, running around the house a lot. So my mom took her to a doctor and the family doctor, and he said, well, I think you should see a specialist. And he didn't really say what the specialist was. And actually, he was a specialist in disabilities, I guess. And the specialist, as soon as he saw my sister, said to my mom, I don't understand you parents who won't accept the things that are wrong with your children. Your child is severely, profoundly retarded, and she will never be able to live a normal life and she should be institutionalized and my mom was just crushed sure and my dad was in the service it was spring of 1945 my sister had just turned two and she actually went to new york where he was stationed and they talked it over over a weekend and she came back and they decided to do what the doctor recommended and try to get my sister institutionalized. And so she was just slightly over two years old and we literally didn't know that she existed. Wow. So when you found out about your sister, what were your thoughts? Well, my first thought was that I'd always wanted a sister. That was my first thought. And then My second thought, of course, like, why didn't they tell us about her? I don't understand. And I really, I found it hard to accept what they said about her, which was that she was feeble-minded. And my dad said, well, she's kind of like a vegetable. And I I don't know, I, I guess I really wanted to meet her and find out what was going on with her, but I didn't until I was in my 20s. So you met your sister for the first time when you're in your 20s. What was that like? We went to see her where she was living, which was Dixon Developmental Center. It was a very large institution, originally called Dixon State School, and they had what they called cottages, which had 50 or 60 people in them. I don't know why they were called cottages, except for the fact that they were separate buildings, but they were very large institutional buildings. And we went into her building, and there was no one in what they called the day room, because apparently at that point, This was the late 1970s. A lot of people were gone during the day, so they actually had various programs they were at. And they took us into a sort of a side hallway where the bedrooms were, and the door was locked, and they unlocked the door. And we came in, and there were about 20 women, and they were all just sort of wandering around in this hall. And there were a couple of hard chairs, folding chairs. Some of the women were sitting on the floor. There was no activity, just people kind of vocalizing and and walking around and I was terrified. I'd never seen anything like that in my life. And then they brought my sister to us. They took us into one of the bedrooms. They unlocked the door for that room. And then I was crying. My mom thought I was crying because I was so moved and I said, no, I'm afraid. (laughs) Because I just was, was, it was overwhelming. Uh But 
I was also sad because when I saw my sister, she was beautiful. She looked like my mom and my dad, and she had my mom's beautiful eyes, which none of us got. And I could see right away, I would have known anywhere that she was my sister. Interesting, and so how old was she by then? At that point, she was, she was 36, oh, 37, and I was 27. And when did they place her in the institution? She was two. She was two, okay. So she had lived there for 35 years. Oh my. Um, which is amazing to me. It is amazing. Eventually, your sister got out of the institution. How old was she when that happened? Well, I became her guardian. I found out that they had been looking for a guardian for her. The reason why my parents were there is they had started having annual meetings at that point for people, and so they didn't come and visit normally, but they would go to the annual meeting. And so I found out that they were going, and I insisted on going with them. Otherwise, I don't know when I would have met her. Hmm. But one of the things was they wanted people to start having guardians and having their families be involved in their lives, which was kind of the opposite of the way things had been before. And I found out that also that they were closing Dixon. And so my first job as guardian was to help her move and not knowing very much about anything, about disabilities or the kinds of places where people could live. I looked at the other state institutions and the one that was closest to me was actually, seemed much nicer. They were actually small homes with a small number of people living in them and it was a little more like a, they were sort of like little townhouses or something. It wasn't as bad. So I helped her move there and I eventually helped her move out of there into what they call a Scylla home or a group home with just a few other ladies. So that was when she was 65. So she lived in the institution from two until she was 65. So 63 years of living oh in gosh. institutions. Oh my gosh. So you were the one that, that got her out of the institution. Do you have other siblings? Yes. Okay. So I guess the question would be, why you? as opposed to the other siblings? That's a good question. We have two brothers, and one is older than me, and then the other one is, is younger, so I'm a middle child. But I felt this connection with her as soon as I met her, and I volunteered to do it. My younger brother, my older brother, I don't think was interested in doing it. My younger brother made some comment about, well, I'm the person in the family who always has to do everything, so I guess I'll do it. And I said, well, I actually want to do it. Don't do it because you feel like you have to do it. I felt, I don't even know how to put it exactly without sounding, well, it just, I felt a call, I would say. As soon as I met her, I felt this close connection with her and I felt a call because I felt that that God was calling me to do something to help these people. Mm -hmm. When I saw the way she was living, I thought, this can't go on indefinitely. And I felt that I'd entered sort of an alternate universe. And I thought, oh my goodness, I've driven by places like this. And I had no idea what was going on here, how people were living, what their life was like. And I've felt that ever since. Has your experience then with your sister affected what you do now as an advocate? Yes. In fact, I never would have been involved at all in this field. I was an English major. I had a master's in English. I, was, I wasn't sure that I wanted to teach. I really wanted to write. I thought I was going to write the great American novel or something. My husband still wants me to write. <laughs> but 
I started getting involved in my sister's life. I started doing a lot of volunteering. I wound up working for the state of Illinois for 11 years because I wanted to work in volunteer services. And I worked for a large state institution, the one where my sister was living after she moved, which was the Howe Center. And I worked there for 11 years, part of the time in volunteer services, and then I got bumped and I wound up working in a bunch of other areas there. But the one, several reasons I kept the job, one of course because of my sister, but I started to get more and more interested in advocacy when I actually, it seemed a great deal better than where she had grown up, but I started seeing a lot of things that disturbed me about the way people were treated. And they let me be the chair there of the Human Rights Committee, no matter which job I was doing. And I loved that and I wanted to try to, to change things for people. And then after the place closed, after my sister moved and everything, I took a job for the Ark of Illinois for the same reason, just because I had become so interested. So tell me, your sister has profound disabilities. I think you said that she would probably be diagnosed on the autism spectrum, maybe, if they were to do that. Does she have a diagnosis at this point? She doesn't. The only diagnosis I've ever seen is etiology unknown, or etiology, I don't oh. know how to pronounce that, but, so no, she's never had any kind of a diagnosis. Interesting. So, what is your relationship now with your sister? You're how many years apart? We're 10 years apart. 10 years apart, so she's 10 years older. You didn't grow up with her. You didn't know that. Right. And then all of a sudden she enters your life when you're in your 20s. Sometime later, you're instrumental in, in moving her out of the institution that you were so disturbed by. But, so tell me about your interaction with her now. I think there's always been something of a parental aspect because I took over the parental role because basically our, our parents gave it up. And now I think we're close and we're more like sisters. Mm -hmm. Uh, when I go to see her, one question that people always ask me is if she recognizes me, and I always say yes. I mean, I don't know if she understands the concept of sister, not having grown up in a family, but she knows that I'm her sister, and she knows that I'm someone who's important in her life, and we just enjoy being together. She's really the most relaxed person in my life. I don't feel stressed when I'm with her. We can just sit together. Sometimes I sing to her. She loves music. We like driving around in the car listening to music. We'll go for ice cream together. We just enjoy being together, and I think we have more of a sister relationship now. You know, the interesting thing for me, you didn't have the opportunity to bond with her right. in a typical sense until you were 20 and then that experience was frightening maybe she wasn't frightening but the circumstances were, were frightening but yet you felt that bonding with her do you have an explanation for that or just <laughs> <laughs> i don't really have an explanation for that i just know as soon as i saw her that we belonged together in some way and I mean, certainly it didn't hurt that she looked like my parents, mm -hmm. but I don't think that would have made any difference. It's just her strength. When I think of what she survived and her spirit just spoke to my spirit in some way. That's very interesting. I, and I appreciate your perspective. She's 70? She's 76 now and I'm 70, 66. So. 76 and you're <laughs> 66. What a blessing for her that you are in her life. What an awesome blessing. Thank Did you. Did your 
Had your parents passed away when you moved her out of the institution? They were still alive. Okay, so they knew that you were moving her. Okay, what were their thoughts at that time? I think that they they grew more used to the fact that knowing her changed my life and that I became so involved in her life. They were uncomfortable with it at first, and I think a lot of it had to do with the fact. Well, there were several things, but one of the things was that they felt that they had given her up. And it was hard for them. They were still struggling with getting a little more involved in her life again. And having me become so involved, I think they had a lot of hopes for me and dreams. And my mom particularly, because she felt that she had given away her daughter. And here I was, the first daughter. And interestingly, there was a lot of pressure on me to be perfect in some way, even before I had any idea why that would be, but it was because I was a replacement for her other daughter, which is kind of sad, really. Sure. And But I would say that eventually they became proud of me and were very glad that I was involved in her life. Did they ever visit her at her uh, group home? They never did. They never went there. I brought her to them a few times, and then it reached the point, unfortunately, my mom began to get Alzheimer's, and my dad had had some strokes, and they found her difficult to be around, and, and my mom never forgot her, but I think she probably had some bad feelings or, or sad feelings about my sure. sister. I imagine it would have been so hard to place a child. Your parents were the generation that really followed the doctor's advice. Exactly. And the best medical advice in the day, as you well know, is, well, let's place this child pretend that she was never born mm -hmm. for the sake of the rest of your children and, and, exactly. and, and uh, have family 2.0 without without her in your life. And what a sad chapter with it, because then your family was denied the opportunity of growing up with her and them. Exactly. Being with it. And that's one thing I've noticed with Orange Socks is in, in the interviews is that despite the disability, the severity, the whatever, the diagnosis or lack of diagnosis, whatever it might be, there seems to always be this profound sense of gratitude at having the child in their life. And that's, I think, the benefit of the current generation over the one, you know, the 50s and 60s where we, we placed kids in 40s. I think people do often say to me, which makes me a bit uncomfortable, not just they'll say, well, you're a blessing to your sister or she's lucky to have you, but I feel that I'm the lucky one. I feel that all the time. I, I don't think my life had a direction at that point. Yep. Now you're an orange sock story. <laughs> because that's the fun universal thing. You're mm -hmm. absolutely right. From the outside, people say, oh, you must be a saint. Oh, you must be this. Right. Oh, you're like, and, and I myself said, what a blessing you are in your sister's life, and you are. But what I have found is that universally, that's the story that the people get more out of than what they feel like they gave. You know, Absolutely. I can't even imagine my life if she wasn't in my life. Now that she's been out and you're so actively involved with your other siblings, are they any more involved with her, yes, no? Or? Both of them are a little bit more involved. My younger brother has a number of children and he's probably more involved with his family. Mm -hmm. But my older brother has actually come and visited and, and we have had some holidays together now, which we never had mm -hmm. growing up. So that's been very cool. That's neat. 
Isn't that awesome? It you ever, is. Have you ever done a family photo? Yes, we've done a few. We need to do more, though. Isn't that fun? And actually, one thing I was very excited about, I have a cousin who's very interested in genealogy. Uh -huh. And he said, I guess because it was such a, well, I don't think I really explained it. it was such an odd topic in my family as far as I have older cousins who knew about my sister and they were all sworn to secrecy. It's very bizarre. But he asked if she could be included in the family tree and I said, of course. I. Absolutely. Yeah. So that made me extremely happy. And he actually came and met my sister and they had never met as adults. And she took to him right away. So that was very cool. Isn't that nice? <laughs> Just last question, and, and you're awesome, by the way. Oh, thank this is, you. This is going to be a, a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful interview. If you were to give any advice to siblings, young or old, out there, what would you want them to know from your perspective and your life's experience? From my perspective, whatever the difficulties are, and there are some difficulties with being a sibling who has a disabled sibling, I won't sugarcoat that. There are times when you feel very responsible and you don't always feel that other people understand what you're experiencing. But I think the just the sheer joy and love of having a sibling like my sister, she loves me unconditionally. Mm -hmm. And that's something that very few people do. That she's just a joy in my life. Any last thoughts? I guess my last thoughts would be that I'm very excited to live in a time when people are starting to accept diversity and everyone being included. Yeah. And I wish that time would come earlier for my sister, but people often say to me, gosh, I'm interested to know your story because I think this could have been my daughter if she was born earlier. Yeah. a different time and I, I think we have wonderful opportunities ahead of us yeah awesome thank you thank you thanks for listening to this episode Orange Socks is an initiative of Rise Incorporated a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting and advocating for people with disabilities follow Orange Socks on Facebook and Instagram and visit our website orangesocks.org for more stories and to find national and local resources to help parents of children with disabilities.